1: Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self podcast. I am so excited to share with you Sylvia Becker-Hill and her amazing work with empowering women in bringing their authentic selves to the workplace and to their lives. Welcome, Sylvia.
2: Thank you, my dear. I'm so delighted to be here.
1: This has been such a treat. And believe me, you, for those of you listening, it's been a lot of work to get this woman here. So we've got to really be thankful that she's taken the time to share her work with us. So Sylvia, can you tell the audience a little bit more about the work that you're doing and uh, sort of where it's going today? Thank
2: you, my dear. The audience probably already hear from my accent that I'm originally from Germany. And I started in 1997 to work as a corporate leadership trainer and top executive coach, moving around the world with my family and now living here in the beautiful southern area of California, serving my clients around the world. And my passion was always about change and the human evolution. And we are all living in such exciting times right now. You can see everywhere the patriarchy is crumbling, corporate, politically, everywhere. And I'm an optimist. I believe all current evolutionary trends are showing that we are moving towards true partnership between men. And women. So I'm pouring now my over 20 years of work in the corporate world and over 10 years academic research into a new adventure. It's called the Becker Hill Women's Empowerment School, which opens its doors on October 1st, where I make the leaders of tomorrow, because I believe we women and men, we have the patriarchy deeply ingrained in our own brains between our own ears. And if we want to be successful and fulfilled in all areas of our life, we have we have to overcome this old wiring, the old paradigms, the old beliefs, so that we can truly, together as partners, create a world which works for everyone.
1: Amen to that sister. And, <laughs> and to give a little bit of context for folks who are just coming on to the show, where Sylvia and I met, we met at a, a conference, actually, just about a year ago. But we were introduced before the conference from a mutual friend and said, you know, you two need to connect. But uh, it was this... Uh, Women's International Networking. Actually, for those of you who've been listening for a while, we've actually had some other guests that have come through this uh, same conference that I met actually over 10 years ago. So it's uh, something about this power of connecting women in authentic environments where they can really bring themselves forward and and really lead from their hearts in a very positive way and change the the patriarchal model. So, uh, you know, so more power to you, Sylvia, for the work that you're doing. I'm curious, being also another uh, international professional, how do you feel that technology has changed the ability to really go after this, and maybe going after is the wrong word, but to counter this patriarchal system and turn it around in a way that's really more complementary to the way the world is operating these days.
2: Perfect question. In the patriarchy, it's all about the ego. It's about I, 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 I. It's all about me, 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 me. So modern technology gives us the opportunity to connect, to create communities, to, to be connected around the world with other people, like-minded people, our tribes. So the modern technology for me is already a post-patriarchal technology because it's not any longer about the I. Modern technology is not about empowering the I. It's empowering the community, the tribe, the circle. And that is so huge. I couldn't live nor work the way I do without modern technology, without the Internet. I'm from Germany. My husband is from New Zealand. Our kids were born in Germany, now raised in the United States. Our family, our social circles, our whole life is literally spread around. around the globe. So, I live every day on different time zones. My parents are still in Germany. I manage their their care. they both are sadly uh, dementia challenged, etc. So, without modern technology, I couldn't manage their care, my business, my private life, nurturing my social relationships privately and my clients around the globe without modern technology and my whole life, the way I live, so intimately interdependent, this is already beyond the part we model. And that wouldn't be possible without modern technology.
1: So true. And, you know, you're coming from Germany and sort of coming back to the whole wind thing. The person that I interviewed before was from Mexico, but she was working in Geneva, now lives in New York. I mean, this is really the way that the world is going in terms of globalization. We're able to, you know, borders are no longer so significant, but it does mean that cultures are also shifting. We're having to become More uh, fluid in our cultural mobility, I guess, is the best way that I can describe it. And how do you feel that technology enables you to create that fluidity and really support it? somehow I have
2: to think back on my early childhood and uh, put it in the context from the, the roots where I come from. My mother was more a classic kind of woman who was uh, avert uh, averse against technology I remember when my father was always the pioneer, we were the first in our neighborhood who had a, a videotape recorder etc and my mother always refused to read the instructions and always refused to, to learn how to deal with that and so I was standing as a little girl between these too, the pioneering father who always jumped on modern new technology and was always the first and my mother who simply said this is nothing for women I don't need to deal with that, that's the husband's job, right? So for me, being a rebellious teenager and wanting to be a liberated emancipated woman, I always made myself very early the commitment whatever new technology will come my way in my life that I will not be like my mom and more like my dad to be open to it and, and embrace it and And I remember I started my business in 1997 and at that time the internet was just starting out so back in Germany we just started to have emails but we didn't have yet uh, web pages so most of my first clients I served as a coach over the phone and if I haven't met them before we didn't know how we looked like because LinkedIn wasn't there yet so no one knew our headshots and all these kind of things that was not there yet and now look where we are 20 years later I mean everyone can nearly know everything about everyone. And so the fear in the past of getting too much information out is now turned into the fear that we put our information out and no one is looking or searching us. So it's a huge transformational jump. And I must admit, I forgot now the question you asked me, so I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question. <laughs>
1: Please, <laughs> That's Heidi, okay. Question. <laughs> That's okay. So I was talking a little bit about the cultural fluidity that technology yes. creates with sort of the globalization. Well, the interesting thing is that
2: even though technology seems to be neutral and and uh, it's like it's it's technology, it's machinery, it's physics, and yet how people use it, there is still a lot of culture involved. For example, I started my business in Germany. So my first business webpage was designed by a German marketing company for my German clients at that time and by my German brain and my German taste. So when I moved to the United States, my American clients, even though I translated that webpage, just translating it from one language to another didn't work. It was not enough because the expectations around marketing, around user ability, about the surface, everything was so, so different. So I had to literally recreate completely new my webpage, my marketing philosophy, my style, everything because the different culture expected different things, different a different a set of buttons, different organization. I mean, it, and still nowadays, when you look into web pages from uh, businesses from different cultures. You see there is a different cultural taste about the amount of information. Is it more focused on visual? Is it more focused on text? What kind of buttons are there? How interactive is it? How dominant is the sales button? What colors are used? The fonts? everything culture is still shaping the technology even though technology in itself seems to be so culturally neutral so i was forced to be come more fluid and to be more flexible and i remember when i invested so much money in my first new american blown up huge great american style web page and then flying back to germany and introducing my german clients my now new american web page <laughs> how shocked if you were and telling me oh my gosh that looks so American. And I asked him, well, what does that mean? So it's, it's just funny. C- cultural clashes are still happening nowadays, style wise. And being now, let's say, a global citizen from my own understanding, I had to learn to be on one hand more fluid, more flexible, and on the other hand, to find my own very unique style so that I don't feel bothered or take it personal or suffer from these cultural clashes so that I find like a universal, unique Sylvia Becker-Hill style, which hopefully my German, American, South African, Asian clients, because my clientele has grown so multifaceted, Now, uh, it would be completely impossible if I would try to be so fluid like a chameleon adjusting every time to every culture. That's simply not possible. If you ever seen the movie Woody from Woody Allen Zelig, The Human Chameleon, <laughs> this comes to my mind. So that is not possible. And I think that's an evolutionary challenge for all of us who are living online. To On one hand, we want to connect with the online market, with our tribes, with the external people. And on the other hand, we don't want to lose our own identity and become this human chameleon, which is constantly changing its look in order to, to bond with different circles. That
1: Absolutely. You're bringing up a, a point that really sort of one of the things that really stands out I think when I when I speak with you and when I'm in sort of these these global contexts is the you know sort of this beauty in sort of bringing in that cultural context but in a way that respects the other cultural contexts around you. I think that's something that's that's obviously with your leadership work, that's probably something that you work a lot with in helping people really understand how do I present my authentic self and whether that's embracing their womanhood or embracing their germanness or whatever that is, what do you find are the biggest challenges for women in, you know, being that authentic leader? How do you especially go forth in supporting that and helping them recognize it? Well, a big challenge is that most of us, men
2: and women, are trained from early childhood on to adjust, to be nice or cute or act in a certain way so that we are not getting criticized, that we are still belonging to our family or our tribe. And women and men do it in different ways, but both gender do that. So for a leader to be really authentic and powerful, you have to literally rewire your own brain, you have to go against the grain of your early childhood and stop being nice, stop being this human chameleon who constantly is shaping itself to fit to the environment and that takes courage that takes the courage to say no to certain expectations so for women it's always a big lesson to learn to set healthy boundaries and to start every new professional relationship with what I call a so-called meta-communication which means a communication about the communication about the shared communication, the shared relationship where you set up some rules and some boundaries so that the other person understands what to expect from them and also what the, how they can approach each other when there is some kind of breach of this mutual agreement, the mutual contract. So setting boundaries, negotiating relationships, setting rules about communication so that women can feel that they are safe to be themselves because sadly most of us as children we learn it's not safe to be ourselves. As soon as we are ourselves, we we either get bullied at school or we get ostracized at school or we get criticized by family members or shut down. So there is a bit of uh, trauma in most people's brain which needs to be healed and integrated. And things got nowadays through coaching and therapy and neuroscience. We have so many wonderful tools that these things don't need to take years. You can literally heal, rewire your brain in a matter of minutes sometimes, and that is very empowering and helps leaders to move forward in a a progressive, fast way. We we don't need to suffer. We Mm. all can have a happy childhood. There's this beautiful saying, it's never too late to have a happy childhood, and that's so true. A good leader is only a good leader when he had a happy childhood. And I don't mean it factually, you know, it's not about time traveling. It's about how to rewire your own memory and your own self-image in your own brain. So for men and women, it's about being honest, who they are now, who they want to be, heal who they have been, and then move forward with courageous, transparent communication so that others understand what to expect from them.
1: Mm. And so much easier said than done, but uh, ultimately something that we all could benefit from working on. I'm curious, sort of having a little bit of a shift, I know you recently were doing a lot of work with the Millennium Development Goals. And where did your work sort of find its place within that? And do you find that finding that authentic feminine leadership piece is something that that can really help that whole process and the goals themselves?
2: Well, I I must admit the last presidential election here in the United States, the whole year, the whole campaigning, that politicized me. And I was looking for a platform where I'm be able to show up as a leader, where I can contribute. And being a global citizen, for me, the UN Association was just the perfect home for me. The UN Association is a global organization of volunteers, which creates a bridge between the UN in New York, which is perceived by a lot of people as elitare, as elicited, as, as like close, where where people don't really know what is the UN really doing. So the UN Association, we create a bridge locally where we do uh, events, fundraisers, and information and and literally build a bridge so that people can understand what the UN is doing. And the UN has developed this beautiful list of the sustainable development goals. And number five is gender equality. And that is my focus where through some deep soul search a few years ago and uh, shamanic uh, journeys I've done with uh, mentors, I just found out that's part of my life's purpose. So being now connected with the UN and going every year to the commission of state of women at the UN every February and meeting literally 10,000 to 12,000 delegates, politicians, leaders from around the world who all are fighting, men and women, to create together a world which works for everyone is just deeply, deeply rewarding and gives me a context where my soul's purpose, my political activism and my professional work as a leadership mentor and trainer and coach just... Beautifully merged together, so I'm I'm very grateful that I uh, I feel like I found finally a way where all these puzzle pieces, which were separated in the past, are finally now beautifully gelled together, so that my life areas are not any longer separated. So if I fly to the UN or I fly to Winnow next month, uh, happening in Rome this year, or if I fly to Puerto Rico to one of my corporate clients there, it's always me. It's always a full Sylvia with everything I have to bring to the table and uh, politics, business, soul purpose. It's it's all one, and that's um, yeah, that's just such a gift for myself.
1: Well, and it's not just a gift to yourself. It's a gift to others. And I really appreciate the work that you've been doing. I think there's something that's really, really powerful in what you're doing. And I think it's what, what would be helpful for the audience to really understand is how do you get connected with communities like this? I mean, you were saying you did some shamanic work and some other pieces that really directed you to knowing that you had something that you wanted to really share and get more involved in. But sort of were there different I mean, maybe it was just a website, maybe it was someone that you met while you were networking, but how do people actually get connected and engaged with these, whether it's the UN organization or other organizations that are doing some things towards women's empowerment? Well, the good news nowadays, (laughs) I like to joke, Google knows
2: everything and everyone. I mean, nowadays, it's so much easier. In the past, you really always needed the personal connection. I mean, in the first 10 years of my business, every client only came through personal recommendations or every new association membership, everything I've done, every door which opened itself was through a personal private connection I had to that group, that circle, that mentor, that shaman, that guru, whatever. But nowadays, thanks to the internet, thanks to Google, whatever interest someone might have, I mean, I go literally into the Google search. And type in the question I have in my mind. How do I get connected with XYZ? And then I see what pops up. Also, I have a beautiful, very loyal tribe on uh, Facebook. I ask my friends. So if I look to get connected with something or someone, I go online and I post the question, hey guys, I would love to meet so-and-so. Does anyone have a personal connection to that person? And most of the time someone shows up or someone shows up who knows someone who has. And then the third way is I'm always a member of a mastermind group. When I say always now for around six years, every one, two, three years, the mastermind uh, changes because you you always you grow so you outgrow the current mastermind but that is definitely something I highly recommend for everyone listening. If they are professional and have the time, find a mastermind of like-minded people in your industry because mastermind groups, they are there to exchange resources, to open doors, to, to give each other names, to give each other recommendations. And uh, especially because I move so often and I restarted my life several times literally from scratch, not knowing anyone else besides myself and maybe my husband. It's so crucial to to find quickly a way to get connected with the local circles and mastermind groups were always a big help for me also chambers of commerce I always made the effort even though I had not always stayed a member of the local uh, chamber of commerce but the first year wherever I moved for the first year, I became a member of the Chamber of Commerce and went there to just get to know the local business community and get a taste and a sense of, of the vibe, of the energy. Who, who is there? What kind of industry? Small, big, corporate, and, and, and always making some friends. So I think for someone who wants to connect, there is no closed doors. And also, I want to encourage everyone listening not to believe into the myth of the celebrity or the unreachable person. Every person, even celebrities, they are ultimately human beings. And everyone craves real connection. I think the key is that people are not coming from ego and, and just wanting, 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 coming from this patriarchal, I, 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 it's all about me. That the approach to someone, even a celebrity or a big VIP person comes from a paradigm of serving, of, of we. How can I create here a win-win situation? How can I be of service? Here in California, the first year I have been, even though I'm a keynote speaker myself, But I was new. No one knew me. So I have been at several events as a volunteer and serving others being a volunteer, running around, giving out handouts, for example, even though I'm my own leader of live events, etc. But sometimes you have to serve first and you have to give first and make people know and trust you before you can start making requests. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so well known and I feel like I'm living here, and like a, sitting in the middle of a fat buffet of abundance and I just need to make a slight request and I have several people who are jumping to support me.
1: I love it. I'm curious, though, I mean, in, in your bio and in your work, you talk about unlearning the patriarchal superwoman rules. And to me, that partially speaks to sort of this, we have to do it all. We have to be the, you know, the head of our career. We also have to be the supermom. We also have to, you know, be juggling all of these different things. When you're working with clients, how do you encourage them to avoid the chaos of taking on too much and really being driven by purpose?
2: Oh, that's a beautiful question. The first thing I do often is that I help them to slow down. Because when we are in this fast, adrenaline-driven, high-speed mode, we don't sense that we are already over the edge, that we are already in danger to burn out. So slowing down is the first crucial step for our brain to have the capacity to even realize how do we feel right now. I mean, seriously, most people don't know exactly how they feel. When you ask them, how do you do? It's just a flask. It's just a bubble. It's an empty phrase what comes as an answer because most people haven't stopped enough to really feel and sense. And our brain is not able to multitask. Our brain is not able to function and work and feel how it is really doing and become conscious and aware about that question and answer how it is doing. So the first step is really, really slowing down, reconnecting with oneself and sensing and feeling. And that sadly, when I help my clients to do that, I have to hold a very strong, powerful, safe space because for a lot of people, it is a shock. It's mm-hmm. a shock when they finally slow down when I force them let's say a whole weekend not to touch their smartphone and go really offline and go into a retreat, stay maybe in a hotel or in their garden in the hammock or go on the beach, and they really have to become calm and silent and stop and go inward and feel wow, some of them haven't done that for years, and what they discover could be a shock so that's the reason why i have to stay very close with them and hold the space so that they are safe to embrace whatever they discover. And whatever they discover is then the start of the coaching process because some things they might discover are gorgeous and beautiful and guide them maybe in a beautiful new way. But some things are maybe even scary. For example, health issues. A lot of my clients, when they come to me, are on the edge of if they don't change something, they would go in the direction of burnout and, and the body would symptomize and, and, and show dangerous diseases. So it's very important for leaders to understand that they can't serve anyone when they are burned out or dead. And so uh, slowing down, stopping and reconnecting with oneself is the first duty for everyone to get out of this whole vicious cycle of being a superwoman or a superman. This whole super, super, superpower is uh, marketing-wise a clever trick from the patriarchy to turn brilliant people into slaves of systems and destroys their personal fulfillment, happiness and sadly often their health.
1: And the health is definitely something that has been a major issue. It just keeps on coming up in this podcast whenever we are talking about self-care, whenever we're talking about leadership, we're talking about growth, expansion. Evolving all of these different pieces, whether it's taking on toxic levels of work or technology or whatever it is, that seems to be a really big issue that a lot of us are dealing with these days is we're not taking care of our bodies. We're not listening to the signals and slowing down is definitely one of those things that helps us actually recognize what's going on. So. You talked a little bit about sort of going offline or, or taking some time to sit in a hammock, whatever those different things are. What do you do to do self-care? And I know in particular right now, you need that a lot. Talk about being a superwoman, take care of your parents who are all the way in Germany and you've got kids and you've got this great career. What do you do for self-care for Sylvia?
2: I gave myself earlier this year I think it was uh, in January for my own birthday a membership here for a massage spa place so I go regularly to get full body massage with uh, nice oil and and I did a bit of uh, research till I found the right person who has just the right perfect hands and the right pressure and is also trained in certain uh, techniques regarding uh, stretching so I, I do that which is really crucial for me then I started walking uh, walking. Uh, I live here more or less in the countryside here in California. It's a bit hilly and I've found a lovely friend slash neighbor who is now going uh, nearly every morning with me. We go for 40-45 minutes. Simple walking. So not jogging, not running but straight tough walking which is just wonderful. It boosts my self-confidence enormously to start the day with that because for me this is one of my biggest things. I'm not a, a by nature very sportive physically active person so to do that as the first thing in the morning I always feel the biggest challenge of the day is now behind me when I do that so that is just wonderful then I have a hammock under a pepper tree and my biggest uh, self-care gift I gave myself around two years ago with the help of my husband and a friend we turned an old wooden playhouse in the garden into an art studio and for me holding a brush and uh, managing paint and colors and having a empty white canvas in front of me, that is just bliss, that is heaven, my, my brain stops thinking, I, it switches completely, it's operating mode whatever stress or full on my plate has been there. As soon I have the brush in my hand and my my eyes focus on the tone of the color, bam, I'm, I'm in a different world. I'm so happy. I'm so blissed out. It's just, yeah, that for me is the very best thing. And it's not as easy as I thought it would be to spend time in it. So it took me a few months to literally get out of my own busy superwoman mode to even use the, my own art studio, which is right in my backyard. But now I go into it every day. It has a little alcove where I meditate, where I have tarot cards, where I have uh, wonderful, colorful magazines. Color somehow for my soul is uh, very important, very soothing. And uh, yeah, painting. I I was challenged a few years ago with a cancer threat and some um, imbalances in my hormones, etc. So for me, I start now to talk with my body. I know this sounds now very woo-woo. Sorry, guys. Yes, I'm a top <laughs> executive coach. I talk to my body. I talk even sometimes to specific organs or specific symptoms when I'm not quite sure what's going on. And my body told me very clearly if I want to stay healthy or if I want to heal myself painting is my best self-therapeutic method and um, I'm listening. I'm listening to what my body is telling me and uh, it seems to work.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. A great piece of advice. I think it's, you know, it's finding that thing that finds you that space, whether it's going for a walk or whether it's grabbing a paintbrush or whether for some people it's just playing a game. And, And I think being mindful of those different ways that our brain and body can decompress and and really just get back to center for some people. In some of our podcasts, we talk about different ways of experiencing mindfulness. And I think those examples that you gave are really beautiful expressions of that. So I'm kind of curious, do you use any specific technologies for meditation or for anything else like your walk? Have you ever thought about uh, tracking your steps? Or do you use any of those tools or recommend those tools for any of your clients? I have a Fitbit, and
2: for whatever reason, I stopped uh, using it. I can't explain why. What I love as technology is, um, and I'm, I'm now flubbergasted that I can't remember even its name. It's a, a uh, it's a body feedback instrument. From the free st- it's from the HeartMath Institute. So HeartMath Institute, their products are amazing, and I don't remember right now how they call this little gadget which you plug into your smartphone, and it measures the entrainment, the alignment between your neocortex and your heart. And you use a breathing technique, and it has a beautiful uh, screen on your smartphone which reflects back straight directly how well you are in an alignment, your coherence level is. I love that uh, little gadget, especially when I travel and have jet leg and over different time zones so i use that a lot when i travel specific technique meditation wise i went um, nearly 20 years ago through a 10-day initiation process called vipassana and vipassana from the around 20 different meditation techniques i have learned from different gurus for me is still my favorite I still use it multiple times a week, not necessarily daily, but definitely multiple times uh, a week. So Vipassana, for it's, it's not only for hardcore meditators, <laughs> because to just survive the 10, 11 days with 11, 12 hours sitting every day in silence and following the instructions is not for everyone. But that for me was a transformational experience, because at that time it uh, taught me to face two of my old most fearful enemies for me it was pain and boredom because Mm. when you don't do anything else but focusing on your breath and your nostrils and that 11 hours a day and you're not allowed to move I mean your body starts aching and you develop so much pain it's excruciating and to experience how meditation can move you through the pain into a realm of peace and bliss into the quantum field between your own cells this is just yeah, it's, it's literally mind blowing and being a very strong mind focused person and, and loving to read. And I have two big libraries, one here in California, one in my apartment in my hometown in Germany. I'm a mind person. My mind gets a lot of nurturing, a lot of food. So to have a meditation technique, which really literally helps me to blow my mind and completely step into a different blissed out world is, is huge. So Vipassana for me is the most powerful technique I had discovered But that is not an objective judgment because I know meditation techniques are something very, very personal. And and you have to find what resonates with you, what works for you. So I would never say now to everyone, come on, learn Vipassana. It's perfect for you. I don't know. For me, it is
1: perfect. Absolutely. And I think that that's a, a very important point to make is that, you know, there are so many wonderful different ways that we can achieve that. And each person, it's unique as to, what will be the best method for them. And and I think there's everything from great apps that will help you just teach you some basic uh, meditation techniques to full retreats where you're going and uh, sitting in silence for longer periods of time. It's really, you know, finding that perfect tool or experience for you that helps you get in touch with Mm. your sense of self. And when I think about the apps I use, I just
2: realized listening to you is I use a lot of apps who support me communicating more effectively with more people over time zones, et cetera. When it comes to apps around organizing my life, Somehow I don't like those or don't need those or don't use those like Evernote, Task Manager, like all these apps where you create long lists or generate habits or you track your steps or you track your food. So tracking, organizing, list making Somehow my brain, I don't use them. I, I got them. I test them all. I, some of them I test also for my clients to be able that I know them and can explain to them what they are or recommend them. But I somehow, i am I'm a very creative, visionary, colorful person. I don't like most of these apps and I I don't need them. So the apps I really use daily are communication apps. Something like WhatsApp, oh my gosh, an absolute lifesaver for me. I mean, all my, the management of the care of my parents runs through WhatsApp internationally around the globe, literally.
1: Yeah, it's really a, an amazing tool. And I've actually just started really using it a lot more. I've had it on my phone for a very long time. But after spending an extended period this summer over in Europe, reconnecting with our family and friends over there, I all of a sudden realized that everybody else in my communication network was on there as well. And so. I was missing out in part of the dialogue, which was really kind of interesting. I had sort of gotten myself stuck in this little bubble. And I think it's very easy to get stuck in the bubble of what's comfortable or what you're used to sometimes it's it's helpful to sort of get pushed into that next place. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go sit on the Snapchat and send each other pictures with little ears on them if that's not, you know, if that's not of value or purpose for you. But it's just knowing that there are other things out there that may serve you even better than the tools that you actually are using currently. I think for Snapchat, I'm too old. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm only on there occasionally more to irritate my children than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't want to forget to share with people that you have a great book out there. It's called Instant Insights on 12 Leadership Powers for Successful Women. Can you tell people a little bit about your book and where they can find it? And yeah. don't forget, folks, there will be a link on the uh, show notes. So don't worry about uh, writing down any links, especially if you're driving, please do not do that
2: thank you for mentioning it. That book is uh, the result of 18 years of change management work and corporate uh, training and coaching. Because over the years, I always reconnected with past clients around three to six months after the coaching assignment and simply asked them, what are the one, two, three things you really sustainably integrated from the coaching and which is still serving you every day in your life? And I collected those answers. And after two, three years, I started to see patterns emerging. So I collected, I collected and started to organize these patterns and clusters. And at the end, it turned out they were really 12 leadership powers. And from the work I've done at that time, 50% were men, 50% were women. So the leadership powers in itself are not gender specific. So men listening here to this podcast, you can read the book too. It's not dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's just that the title, the marketing of the book is targeting women. Yet the content is derived really from the practice of working with top leaders around the world in different industries and their answers what is still making a difference in their life. And it starts with a neuroscience mm-hmm. chapter about brain alignment and ends with the last chapter about love. Love is a leadership power, and it goes into uh, various areas of very practical things. It has a chapter about self-care. The good thing about the book, it's a so-called executive summary style book. It's thin. Ah, so we like those. It. <laughs> can read it in around 30 minutes. It has no stories. Sorry for all the storytelling lovers. So no stories, no case studies. It's really the essence of the answers of my clients captured down to give you a summary. So the beauty of it, it is thin and easy to read. And the danger of the book is it's easy to read. Yeah. So some people underestimate its power. So yeah. my clients who work with me, they have it beside their bed and they then reread it. They read it once, 30 minutes, and then they take maybe one chapter a week and do the little exercises which are in there. They are power statements you can use as affirmations in the morning while you brush your teeth or under the shower to yell them out loud to literally rewire your brain.
1: Wonderful,
2: And the book comes with an online three video training gift to rewire your brain. So when you get the book on page five, there's a link to my webpage, and there you can have access to the training videos as well.
1: So great. And I hope all of you will take a moment and, and try to find that. I believe it's on Amazon, and the link yes. is going to be on the show notes. And you've also recently launched the Women's Empowerment School podcast. I highly recommend folks go out there and check that out. And don't worry, we've got all the great links and ways to find Sylvia to find out more about her work and the amazing things that she's doing in the world. And I don't want to forget to thank this sponsor for today's episode, Good Idea Drinks, who has offered us a 30% off discount to try the Good Idea water. And this, as we're talking about health and and wellness and taking care of ourselves, this is actually a sparkling water that lowers your blood sugar response. And it's lowering pre-diabetic risks and limiting that post-lunch slump, which is another thing that we often do is we take on too much sugar or junk and that it ends up making us tired and not being able to focus in the afternoon. So you just use the 2BU30 code when you order. All of that information's also on the show notes. And they have been nice enough to basically sponsor the show by when you place that order, you're also supporting the show. So I just want to make sure we don't forget about our sponsor. They're absolutely wonderful. I drink this stuff every day and absolutely love it. It tastes good and it's not sweet. And so it takes care of two different things, keeping me hydrated, but also keeping my uh, sugar levels pretty baselined, which is really important for me because I'm super sensitive to sugar. So before we close out, I just want to ask you, Sylvia, if you have any last minute words of advice for all of those super women out there who are trying to do it all, but want to find the way to do it their way and with love.
2: Hmm. Let me breathe into that question. And what comes up is to say, you are enough. Whenever you doubt yourself and think you have to do more, be more, be better, just know this is just your brain messing with you. You are already enough. You are beautiful enough, strong enough, intelligent enough, competent enough, educated enough. We super women, we all are overdoing it already. We are enough. You are enough. It's time that you give yourself permission to relax. You are enough.
1: Fabulous. Perfect closing words. And for those men out there who have super women in their lives, that might be a good reminder to just tell them that they are enough because. They are supporting you, and you're enough too, but you need to remind them on a daily basis because I think most women forget. So with that in mind, I just want to thank you all for taking the time to join us today, and we look forward to sharing the Evolving Digital Self podcast with you again next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.